Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. that I haven't gotten to meet as our church has been growing. So if you've never seen me, my name is Michelle Craig. I'm Pastor Chad's wife, and normally I'm serving our children at DP Kids. And every once in a while, I get the opportunity to share in our gatherings. So I'm thankful to be here today. It's an honor, really, to continue um, our series this month called Screens. And we've had a great start to the series. I hope that you would agree So our first week, Pastor Chad shared with us um, about the importance of guarding ourselves from the distractions that come from our screen time, right? And distractions that can lead to priorities that become disordered in our lives. And then last week, Pastor Craig spoke to us about the issues of discontentment and envy, and he pinpointed how involvement in social media can lead us to have open hearts and minds to these negative postures of envy and discontentment, and then how those postures really affect all of our relationships. And so today, I want to share with you a message that I've titled, A Kingdom Mindset for Social Media. And my desire today is to communicate to you how God wants to use social media as a way for you to honor Christ and draw people to himself. So join me in prayer. Father God, we worship you today. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come into this place. We welcome you to speak to us, to instruct us, to challenge us, to correct us, We welcome you to do what you would in our lives today. Give us ears to hear. And Lord, give us hearts that are quick to follow and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, since the time of the early church, really, God has used technology as a tool to advance the kingdom. The fact is that Because of a technologically advanced system of roads in the Roman Empire, that enabled the apostles to quickly spread the gospel around the known world. So it was because of the accessibility of the Roman road system to go into different nations that the gospel was very quick to spread throughout the empire at that time. And then it makes me think also of even later on during the Protestant Reformation, the printing press, a new technology, was a tool that God used greatly to communicate the changes that needed to be made in the church from systems that actually were holding back the spread of the gospel. And because these changes came to pass, it led to millions being able to, number one, have the written word of God accessible to them, and then number two, for them to be able to hear the gospel 
receive Christ, and then eventually it led to the establishment of churches worldwide. So we see that God can use technology, and he will. And so for us today, in our part of the world especially, the vast majority of our population is accessing what? The internet. And one of the specific ways that they're accessing that is through social media platforms. How many of you are on any kind of social media platform? Raise your hand. Right. So I don't think any of us would disagree or argue about the fact that social media is a medium that we can actually leverage for the gospel. And if you are on any social media platform, no doubt you've come across Christian authors, preachers, teachers, filmmakers, artists that are using these platforms to communicate the gospel. And we should be thankful for that. And we should be supportive of that. In fact, even our church, we recognize the value, the leverage that we have through social media. And so we use it. So if we're going to use it, if we're going to be involved in social media, how does God want us to use it? And should we have a biblical approach to our use of it? Now, I am of the belief, and probably most of you would agree, that most anything God gives us can be used for a divine purpose. It can be used for his glory. So, for example, one of the most basic things God gives us is the work of our hands, right? And the Bible teaches us that when we work, we should work for the glory of God. In my workplace, I can certainly be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit to be able to speak into the lives of my coworkers and bring them to a place where they understand the message of salvation, the work of Jesus Christ. I can be used through in my workplace to glorify God. That is a something that I can use for a divine purpose. If God blesses me with a house, it can be used for divine purposes. I can use my home as a means to welcome people into an atmosphere where they can experience the love and the hospitality of Christ. And if God blesses me with a car, I can use that for a divine purpose. I can bring people to church. I can deliver meals to someone who's hungry or in need. I can use all that God has given me I can attach a divine purpose to it. And if God has blessed me with a smartphone or you, or if God has blessed me with a computer by which I can engage in social media, I can recognize that even that is something I can use for the purposes of God. I can attach divine intention to it. Okay? And most people, when they think of social media, they think of it as a way to disconnect while also connecting, right? Most of the times people just see Facebook or Instagram or whatever you're on as just a way to kind of, you know, unwind, disengage, unburden your mind, although we know that that actually doesn't give that effect. You're actually overstimulating your mind. 
but you feel like you're disconnecting while connecting. And so you'll start the scrolling game, you know, just kind of scrolling through. You'll start the liking game. Oh, yeah, I like that. That's nice. I like it. Funny, funny, like, like. Or you'll start the commenting game, right? Sometimes you'll go a step further and you'll do the posting game. You're like, oh, I want to share this. Look at my top today is cute. Post that. And some of us even go like really far out there and you'll get into the reels game, right? We're like you're doing the shuffling dances and all that stuff. I don't, I don't do that, so don't look for me to do that. And all of these things are fine and well. There's nothing wrong with them. Even I engage and enjoy social media. But in the midst of my engagement, in the midst of my scrolling, commenting, posting, I'm still a born-again believer. I'm still a child of God. And as such, I'm called to live with a kingdom mindset regarding anything and everything that I do. And that means I need kingdom vision. The ability to see the opportunities God is giving me, even through my social media, to use my life for his glory. And when it comes to social media, you and I must maintain a kingdom mindset. We must. I must be mindful of how my activity affects the kingdom of God. So Pastor Chad and Pastor Craig, they've done a great job about talking to us about how our screen activity affects our relationship with others, how it affects our emotions, but our activity also affects our kingdom influence. It affects the image that we give to the world of who God is. And I need to remember, if I'm putting myself out there for all the world to see or all my, you know, 500 followers, whatever, to see, I should care about what they see. I should care about how well or unwell I'm representing Christ. How well am I representing his kingdom How well am I representing the cause of Christ? What image am I painting to the world of who the God that I declare I serve is? I should care about how my life can actually cause someone to turn to God or to turn from God. I should care about these things, and so should you. Is your social media activity giving a good representation, a clear representation of Christ to those who are following you. Now, do you remember a disciple named Peter? Now, Peter, I love Peter. I have to say, Peter's probably one of my favorite disciples because, honestly, I relate to Peter, like, a lot because Peter gets kind of, you know, like, in a tizzy, and I can get that way. But when Peter gets stuff right, he really gets it right. And then when Peter gets stuff wrong, he like really gets it wrong. And so I do that. Like when I get it right, y'all, I get it right. When I get it wrong, 
is. It's a problem, like it's wrong. And so because of that, I relate to him. So I want to take us to Matthew chapter 16. And in verses 13 and 18, I want to read a little bit about a time when Peter gets it right. And when he gets it right, Jesus is like super impressed. So if you go there, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Peter here, he's just received a revelation from the Father that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And Jesus is super impressed, and he's like, whoa, Peter, look at you, getting some revelation from the Father. And then Jesus declares to Peter that he's going to be a key player in the establishing of the church. And so I can imagine, Peter's like, look at me, okay, I feel good about myself today. And really, in today's terminology, Jesus is basically saying to Peter, like, you're going to be this big deal influencer in my church. And so Peter's feeling good about himself. Now, if you keep reading down, after this impressive event in Peter's life, sweet Peter that's just like me does something just unthinkable. Okay? Jesus begins to switch some of the way that he's talking to his disciples because the day of his crucifixion is getting ready to come around. And so Jesus begins to change tact with the disciples and begins to talk to them about the reality that he's about to die, that he's going to be, you know, uh, given over to be crucified. He's not going to be with them much longer. And so he's preparing their hearts for this reality. And Peter just ain't having it. And so you go down to verse 22, and Peter takes Jesus aside. Like, I can't even imagine, but he's like, come over here, Jesus, let me tell you a little something. Never, Lord, never. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus is like, "Uh, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And for me, I get the picture of the open mouth emoji right here, like, what? So you remember what I said about Peter? When Peter gets it wrong, there you go, that's me. That would be me in that moment, like, okay, I've just really messed up. When Peter gets it wrong, he gets it wrong. And in my life, when I read this event in the life of Peter, I find the words of Jesus very convicting for my own life. 
truth is I can kind of seek to take up for Peter here. I mean, after all, he's got a good heart. He just don't want Jesus to die. How, how wrong is that? He doesn't want his friend to die. So why are his words so offensive to Jesus that Jesus would rebuke him and would call him a stumbling block? Well, we have to remember that Jesus always maintained a kingdom mindset. He lived his life constantly aware of the opportunities the Father was giving him to welcome people into the kingdom. He didn't live a life where he was solely concerned with the human or with the natural concerns of life. He was concerned with the concerns of God. And in our lives, Jesus asks us to be concerned with the concerns of God. See, God is concerned with the persecution in Afghanistan. God is concerned with the condition of your lost followers on Instagram. God is concerned with the hard-heartedness of the unbeliever. God is concerned with the arrogance of the proud. God is concerned with the disillusionment of the depressed. God is concerned with the deception of the bound. God is concerned with the weariness of the oppressed. God is concerned with the hunger of the poor. God is concerned with the sickness of the sick. God is concerned, and he says, I should be concerned too. You should be concerned too. And the word of God instructs us over and over again that as believers, we are to be imitators of God. And it teaches us that we are the instruments through which God seeks to meet the concerns of his heart. We are the instruments that he seeks to meet and minister to people where they're at. We are the ones he wants to use to tear down the walls of the hard-hearted. We are the ones he wants to use to speak life to the depressed. We are the ones he wants to use to set the captive free, to unbind those who are bound. We are the ones he wants to use to feed those who are hungry. We are the ones he wants to use. But if we're only concerned with our own humanity, our own lives, how can we be used by God to deliver people out of their darkness? And so he turns to Peter and he says, you're a stumbling block to me. You only have human concerns in mind. And God is saying to you and me, what concerns your heart today? Is it only human concerns or is it the concerns of the heart of God? Oftentimes, I admit, I am concerned and wrapped up in my own human issues. What shall I wear today? What shall I drink? What shall I post today to draw attention to myself? What am I going to highlight in my week to make my life seem greater or more than what it actually is? What am I going to promote today so that my followers will increase? What opinion am I going to shove down the throats of people on Instagram today to show how much I know and how ignorant they are? 
I'm wrapped up in human concerns. And I can admit that sometimes I'm afraid Jesus could turn to me and say, Michelle, you are a stumbling block to me. And I don't know about you, but I'm concerned. I'm concerned that God could look at me and say those words. God forbid that I be a stumbling block to Jesus. God forbid that I be a stumbling block to the work he wants to do in the lives of those that are observing me. Because I'm only focused on me. And so if we're going to be active on social media, as believers, we have a biblical responsibility to not be concerned only with human things. We have a biblical responsibility, and I use the term biblical responsibility because that's how we're going to be judged according to our biblical response. We have a biblical responsibility to be concerned about how our social media activity is influencing others for Christ or against him. Now, I'm not trying to say that you got to go this afternoon and start posting. I'm going to start posting 13 scriptures every day. Every, in fact, I'm going to do 24, one an hour, 24 scriptures. You don't have to go out there and start posting two sermons, six testimonies, hold a live prayer meeting every day on Instagram to have, you know, to respond to your biblical responsibility. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is that you can still post your funny memes on Facebook. You can still post about how cute your grandkids are. In fact, please do. I love baby videos on social media. They're so cute. I'm not saying you have to be religious or legalistic about what you're doing. What I'm saying is you've got to keep a kingdom mindset. Consider your audience. Consider, are all of your friends believers? Mine are not. And so if they're not, I need to realize, recognize I have an opportunity here to regularly post something that draws attention to the truth and the love of God. So why not share something about the goodness of God in my life? Why not share about how God has provided for you, how God is working in your life? Draw some attention off of you onto Jesus. It's not that hard. Have some gospel-driven intention behind your social media activity. I'll say that again. Have some gospel-driven intention behind your activity. So look back over the last, say, two or three months of posts that you've made and take note of how you have represented Christ to your followers. Have you even represented him at all? Do people even know you're a follower of Christ? They probably do. And if they do, how well are you representing him? If all I ever do on my social media is complain about my boss, my job, my life, 
how terrible everything is. How is that representing the goodness of God? How is that influencing the depressed to find hope in Jesus? Let's instead consider how we can encourage other people. How can we be a source of inspiration through what I'm sharing? I'm not saying you have to disguise your struggles. You can be open with them. Be honest. But be mindful to not get caught up in all the negativity of life because I promise you that your friends or followers are seeing and reading activity that is discouraging enough. They're constantly being painted a picture of how negative this world is. So let your activity be something they look forward to because it's different, because it's full of hope. So we have a biblical responsibility to keep a kingdom mindset. We also have a biblical responsibility to turn the other cheek on our screens. How many of you have ever been slapped on social media? (laughs) I have. I mean, I'm a pastor's wife. Plenty of people be slapping us around, okay? And so when people slap us on social media, the command of Jesus is that in the natural or online, you turn the other cheek. That's the response of Jesus. When someone slaps you on social media, the easy thing to do, and honestly, the childish thing to do, is to slap back. Slap back with 1,300 comments or start posting 17,000 articles to debunk their point. Listen, engaging, and I'm not saying that some of what you're arguing about is valid or invalid. Here's the perspective that you need that we need to understand. Engaging in arguments with people who barely know you and who you barely know, it's foolish and it's futile. Okay? It leads to no fruit. No fruit. And in your life, Jesus asked that you would bear fruit. So you're wasting a lot of time being unfruitful and foolish. And in Proverbs 20, 23, the Bible says it is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. And to be kingdom-minded and to hold to the biblical responsibility of turning the other cheek It means that we need to live for the honor of Christ. And so it is to his honor, not just to yours, but to his honor that you turn the other cheek. And when we react to posts or comments or the slaps that come at us out of emotion, instead of the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we make ourselves, and worst of all, Christ, look like a fool. And no doubt, we end up destroying the gospel influence that we can have in the life of that person. 
you have gospel influence over people's lives. And you need to hold to that influence far above whatever other influence you may have. You may have the influence to be able to tell them to swipe up and buy a pair of shoes. But far above and more eternally important is the gospel influence that you have. And when you get caught up in all this feuding, you're destroying the gospel influence that you have in the life of people. And that's too high of a price to pay to prove a point. It's too high. And I refuse to undermine the gospel influence that I may have in the life of a person over human concerns. Things that are not the concerns of God's heart. So we have a biblical responsibility to keep a kingdom mindset. We have a biblical responsibility to turn the other cheek. And we have a biblical responsibility to speak the truth in love, not in offense. I'm going to say that again. We have a biblical responsibility to speak the truth in love, not in offense. Regrettably, there's a lot of believers who think they have a right to be offensive on social media. They think it's okay. So they're going to start posting blatant statements about their political view, their social positions, whatever, and then they proclaim, I have a right to do this. I have a right to be offensive. And if someone is offensive, well, you can get over it. It's your problem. Get over it. Mind you, how is that kind of attitude going to open the hearts of people to the gospel? And how is that the attitude of Christ? We are Christians, imitators of God. We should be concerned that our attitude is the attitude of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. To the sinner, Jesus' attitude was one of grace and acceptance because he understood they're going to act like sinners. (laughs) That's what they are. They're going to talk like sinners. That's what they are. He understood their eyes are blinded. Their mind is held captive by Satan. And we need to understand that as well. So when we're dealing with unbelievers, to have a get-over-it attitude is really to put up a wall between them and Jesus. Listen. We're not going to offend anyone into the kingdom. (laughs) We have to love them there. Offense is not the way to the kingdom. Love is. A love that respects doesn't mean I have to agree with everything that's going on in their life, especially their sin, but I have to love them there. I can't seek to offend them there. It's not going to work. And then some Christians believe it's their right to set other Christians straight through an offensive attitude. 
I don't know if you've ever seen those. They're, they're, they're wonderful. I love them. I bless them sincerely. I pray the Lord would help their heart. And so they feel like it's my right. It's probably my duty. These Christians, they don't know what they're talking about. I got to set them straight. And meanwhile, unbelievers, they're forgetting. I got a lot of unbelievers watching all this, watching me be not a great representative of Jesus. And so I've got all these unbelievers watching me be no better than the world and really living in direct disobedience to God's word. In Ephesians 4, 2, and 3, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian believers about their relationship with one another, believer to believer. And he says, be completely humble and gentle with one another. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So, yes, you can share your opinion, but there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. There's a way that represents Christ well, and there's a way that tears down your gospel influence. You need to have discernment to know if your response is representing Christ well or if it's destroying your gospel influence. And the kingdom of God suffers when offensive believers have a get-over-it attitude. The kingdom of God suffers when believers engage in like a sibling rivalry with one another over human concerns. The kingdom suffers because unbelievers observe us being no better than what they experience every day without Jesus. So why are they going to be drawn into the kingdom of God where they're just going to experience more of the same? May as well live for myself. I see this every day. Why do I have to lay down my life for that? It is not worth the kingdom suffering from our inability to make every effort to keep unity. It's not worth it. The kingdom of God shouldn't suffer because we're unwilling to keep unity. Notice also that Paul commands us to be humble and gentle. Remember what I said, he's speaking about relationship from believer to believer. Okay? And he says, be humble and be gentle. And when we engage in arguments with one another, we're simply being proud. We're walking in pride. We're too proud to make the effort, as Paul says, to lay down our human concern for the sake of Jesus' honor. I'm holding my honor, my point, above the honor of Jesus. That's called pride. And that is what Jesus calls a stumbling block. A stumbling block to the gospel influence that you can have in the lives of everyone that's observing you. And it's not worth that. Then Paul goes on in Ephesians 4, 
verse 29 and 32 to 32, and he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And sometimes we read this and we think Paul is telling us to be kind to the unbeliever and we feel like, oh yeah, that's easy. I can be kind to them. Okay. Be compassionate to the unbeliever. Of course, I can do that. Forgiving each other. He thinks I'm, you know, we think He's telling us to forgive the unbeliever, which we should, but that's not the context here. The context is believer to believer. We need to be kind to one another. We need to be compassionate to one another. We're not all on the same place in the journey. And I'm still growing in some areas, and so is somebody else. And I have to learn to forgive and to bear with one another. So is this what we are living out to the social media world? This compassion for one another, this kindness and forgiveness, this making every effort to keep unity, is this what our social media unbelieving followers are seeing of believing people? If not, we probably need to take a break. And we need to come back with a kingdom mindset and with the attitude of Christ and with a determination to represent Christ well. Amen? Now, maybe you're thinking, I'm not on social media, not even on it, which, good for you. Because <laughs> sometimes I feel like, why am I doing this to myself? But anyway, so how is this applied to my life? Well, has this ever happened to you? Put up that little meme right there. When the Holy Ghost makes you delete the whole text, the whole thing. I mean, you've been like, "Mm, mm." you've got "Mm," great response. "Mm." And then the Holy Spirit is like, no, no. Listen, when we started this church 10 years ago, I had a lot, a lot of this happening. So, you know, Lord bless people. I love people. But sometimes early on, people had a lot of opinions and trying to say, you need to do this, you need to do that, weren't you? And man, I had a lot of practice in hearing the Holy Ghost say, just say K, just say K. And I was like, K, K, okay? So if you have a screen and you're not on social media, you're probably texting and having you know, some kind of screen relationship with family and friends. You're calling them, you're texting them, whatever. Even in that, you need to keep a kingdom mindset and the attitude of Christ. That is what life led by the Spirit and not by our emotions or our opinions looks like. A life led by the Spirit will keep the reputation of Christ a priority. That's a priority for me, to keep the reputation of Christ represented well. 
A life led by the Spirit allows His influence to direct the way in which we respond to people. Colossians 4 and 6 instructs us to let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, some Christians are salty, okay, but not in the way that this scripture commands. So, when someone is salty right now in our current culture, it means they're angry and defensive. And a lot of people say that Latinas are salty, and I don't get that. Like, <laughs> do not understand. I feel very offended by that. But anyway, that's certainly not what Paul is instructing in this verse. Okay? Salt was used in biblical days, just like today, as a preservative to keep meat from spoiling. And just like today, salt was used to season and add flavor to foods. So when Paul tells the believers to season their words with salt, he means to communicate in such a way that our words add flavor to the life of the hearer. Our words should enrich the hearer. Our words should be full of life, encouragement. We should speak to people with a heart that wants to uplift them, encourage them, and not tear them down. He's saying, have a gracious disposition in your conversation. He's saying, we should taste different to those with whom we speak. In your workplace or with your family, in your texting, taste different. Be salty according to God's word, full of grace. Amen? Another thing to consider here that Paul is asking us is that we should be salty in our conversation about God's word. We are to seek to preserve God's word in our present culture. And never has it been more important in our nation than now to be people who seek to preserve the word of God. We should seek to proclaim that the Bible is and always has been truth, that it is and always has been inerrant without error. It is the height of arrogance for the created to try to tell the creator what he should do, what he should think, what he should feel. We are to preserve the word of God. Amen? We are to align our lives and our words with the word of God and not waver to hold fast to it. So when it comes to screens, we need to keep a kingdom mindset, keep a Christ-like attitude, and keep our communication seasoned with salt. Now the band can go ahead and come up. As we close out today, I want to give you some really practical ways to share your faith through social media. And I'm not saying that none of us do this. In fact, when I read off my list, you're probably going to think, 
Wow, really? That's all you got, Michelle? Because it's nothing out of this world. They're all simple things. But what I want today is that we make a commitment to do these things on a more regular basis. The average American spends 145 minutes a day on social media alone, not to mention streaming Netflix, Hulu, whatever. Over two hours a day just on social media. And God is saying to you, if you're going to give two, over two hours a day to social media, you need to redeem that time. Redeem it. Because Jesus wants to use your life. And because honestly, we don't know how much time we've got. And people are dying and perishing without Jesus every single day. And we need to redeem the time. So let's make a commitment to do these things on a regular basis to put gospel driven intention in our social media activity so one of the first things you can do to leverage your time to draw people's attention away from you and on to Jesus is number one share your testimony of salvation consider doing this a couple times a year I'm actually going to do it this week. I've never shared my testimony of salvation on social media. Never. Why not? I really don't know. Just never thought about it. Now this week, I plan to record just a one-minute video that shares how, when, and why I gave my life to Christ. And my prayer is that Jesus would use it, that he would just use it time would be redeemed for his glory and for the purpose of having some gospel driven intention in my life number two share testimony of an answered prayer and please give the glory to Jesus consider doing that maybe once a month you can write it out on a post you can video it whatever you're comfortable social media. 
How amazing would it be if someone sent you a direct message that said, I need Jesus. Help me give my life. Redeem the time. Redeem the time. And if you say, well, I don't even know how to present the gospel. Well, we teach you how to do it in growth phases. We have an online platform that teaches you how to do that through growth phases. Make an excuse. Ask for help. We equip you to reach the gospel. And then number seven, pray. Pray about your mindset when you start the scrolling game. Pray about your attitude when you start the commenting game. Let the Holy Ghost take over and tell you to delete the text. Let him do it and obey him. He knows better. He knows better. Your point isn't worth losing gospel influence. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.